The Hard Yards, brought to you by Ladbrokes, passionate about sport. With fantastic support, half of Ireland were here, the rest of them are hopefully smiling at home. We had a bet earlier in the year, 20 euros, that if we won it I wouldn't cry, but it's uh, the best 20 euro quid I'll ever spend. Here's Eastlip, well he picks it up quickly and off he goes, drops it off the head, oh, Robbie Hinshaw scores it! Rugby history! Hello and welcome to episode 3 of the Hard Yards, the Sports Joe Rugby podcast. I'm Andy McGeady. On this week's show, we're going to look ahead to the visit of France to Lansdowne Road on Saturday, talk to future Munsterman Chris Farrell and look back at the weekend's Pro 12 action. Around the table, I am joined by Leinster prop Mike Ross. Hello, Mike. Hello. Thanks for having me. And Sports Joe Rugby reporter Pat McCarry. Hello, Pat. Hey, how's it going? And on the line from Cork, we have Duncan Callahan. Hi, Andy. Hope things. A little later on, we'll have Chris um, to talk about Grenoble, French rugby life, and deciding to leave that content life. And we'll have Haley O'Connor from Ladbrokes on the line to talk about how uh, a certain Mr. Stuart Hogg is causing them again, yeah. pain and misery. Um, but first, finally, I have an excuse to talk barbecue on a rugby <laughs> podcast. Mike. <laughs> Thank you for coming in. Uh, what is the latest piece of kit that you bought for your barbecue rig? I have acquired a Traeger um, wood pellet grill. What, um, do, what does that do? It smokes meat for you and you don't even have to look at the fire. It just does it automatically. It's brilliant. I won't need to uh, be out checking the coals, making sure they're still going. Yeah. And just set it and forget it. So I'm looking forward to it being life-changing. You change your life. <laughs> Smoked meat. It changes your life. More meat all the time. Listen, I'm 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 completely sold. It's mm. it's amazing. It's a great way to spend time with the family. Yeah, the missus likes it because it gets me cooking too. So <laughs> I, I can tell her she's well looked after, but uh yeah, it's funny. Now, I, had, I had the same reaction at home, right? Suddenly I was looking forward entire weeks until I was the one definitely in charge of the weekend's cooking and potentially feeding the family for a week off one go. Exactly. My, my young fella's been driving her mad because he's saying, is Dad cooking tonight? And he gets all mad if I'm not. So like, it's, it's like I've come along and taken, the, taken another thing away from her. Uh, Dunica, have you had the opportunity to sample Mike's barbecue, have you? No, but I could well imagine that he's well able to cook a good feed. Um, <laughs> I don't know, he's just always been around camp. He's always quite interested and to be fair, gadgets are Mike's things as well. So if, you know, you can match both food and a gadget, I think you've it already sold to Rossi's. Would you agree, Mikey? I would say that'd be fairly spot on. Yeah. <laughs> Right, well, we'll see. Um, I wonder what they're eating in camp these days. I don't know. I can't imagine it's a slow-cooked 12-hour barbecue in Ireland you'd, camp. You'd be surprised. Sometimes they do pull a little rabbit out of the hat there. Yeah. They had a guy come along before the World Cup who took meat and aged it for about two months, I'd say. Oh, uh, my I'm, God. I'm actually... I, I'm kind of drilling. Yeah, he's a butcher up north. I can't remember his name now, but um, of course he's one of Bessie's best friends. Because that fella knows everybody up there, king in the north. Yeah, but it's it's a valid point, isn't it, Mike? When you're in camp, just something that breaks it up that seems like a bit of a treat, or you know, something just a bit different. Like, remember the time once Rala arrived in in an ice cream van, and it was just ninety nines for everyone, and it, <laughs> it's a small little thing. But like when you you get camp fever sometimes, you know, and. It, just something to break it up and make you feel like a normal person for 10 minutes can uh, 
keep guys going. So to be fair, you know, Ruth Martin's always done an incredible job there making sure the food's been spot on. So yeah, Rossi's right. Sometimes they're just a little break and uh, keep the lads fresh and make them feel normal. Yeah, that's exactly how I saw getting a barbecue at home. I just want to break up the routine, darling. Yeah, <laughs> Get the ice cream van next thing. Yeah, I wasn't walking right for a week. Um, right, Ireland team selection. Um, are we taking it as so that Johnny Sexton is coming back straight into the team because a team with Johnson Sexton in it is better than a team without it, Pat? Yeah, like it, it's, it seems like he's going to be fit. Like It looks like he's going to train again on, on Tuesday. That's the latest that Schmidt said. It was a very funny one where he spoke to the press on Friday and said he's uh, quietly confident as opposed to overtly confident. So we're getting into kind of uh, different levels of confidence here. But um, just everything, like it's it's almost like your head tells you the Jackson, he should stay in there, you know, give him another game. He's been doing well, you know, the, everybody's a bit more used to them they've been training together but then you just kind of think that Sexton you just you just keep falling back to Sexton is going to start this game and um, if he kind of gets through this training session on Tuesday you, you would imagine it um, I suppose the fact that he's, he's done it before like he's came in um, you know I think he was out for 12 weeks after he had that concussion over in France and he came in fresh uh, hit the ground running against France and you know France didn't go easy on him and he came through it again so that would make me think that Sexton's going to start this game are some players, um, Mike, better at coming back, you know, straight in after not playing a real game for a while? Uh, are, can, is Sexton one of the guys who can do that? Yeah, he is. Um, I, I would be in the opposite camp. I probably need three or four games to get back in the swing of things, knock the rust off. But Johnny's always been one of these guys who come straight back in. As you mentioned, he came uh, back after a concussion layoff. And I think the first thing France did was send Bastro down his channel. And he survived that just about. And... Uh, played really well that game uh, so I don't th- I th- if he does come straight back in I don't think we have too much to worry about it was the thing where wasn't it like he was down for a while I remember being at that game and he, he dropped and Bastro went head first at him kind of bull charged him and uh it was just Sexton was fighting people off and like he wasn't going to go off that pitch and um, you know would you have kind of like you would have played there as well is he that type of guy as well where like he's just just sometimes he's fairly single minded yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and um I mean, that's a really nice way of putting it. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want him mad with me. Yeah. Um, no, he, like to be fair to him, he's always come back. He looks after himself very well, and I, I don't think he'd take the pitch unless he felt 100 percent confident in himself. Donegal, what, what, are you one of those guys who can come straight back in, or do you need to, uh, you know, get up to speed? I've never really had that problem. <laughs> I just <laughs> normally kind of tip away, so when I'm out, I'm finally oh, out. But. Uh, <laughs> Just on that, I, I, I'm, I'm the opposite. I think 100% um, Johnny's one of those guys like Paulie. When he comes back into the squad straight in, he lifts the standards, and that's massively important. But I think you have to look at the overall squad and you have to look at what Paddy's done for um, the, the last two games. I think he played really well in, in the Scottish game. Granted, it took him an awful lot, of, maybe 20, 30 minutes to get into the game, but I thought he played really well. I thought he was great against Italy, and I think for the squad and how camp runs, I think it's important that he stays there. And uh, I think I think Paddy should stay in there. No, look, there's no doubting that Johnny, when fit, is number one and first choice. But unfortunately, you can pick up injuries at bad times, and I think I think unfortunately within our setups, and maybe it's back as far as. You know, um, Campbell and and jeez, um, um, Ward. Ward, O'Gara, and Sexton. We nearly always have to need to have a villain. You know what I mean? And sometimes 
it seemed like Paddy's the bad guy where he's a quality, quality player and I think I'd actually back him this weekend. I'd put him out there and leave him go and uh you know, I think you gotta sometimes you gotta protect players for themselves as well. It's a massive game, it'll be Johnny's first game back. Why not keep him in camp for the week and let him work and earn it and uh you know, there's no doubt he's a quality player and that he deserves to start. He's for me he's my Lions ten, but at the moment it's a massive ask to put a guy straight into such a big test game. Yeah, it's interesting. Like even like we talk about Jackson, like as as this guy who's still trying to prove himself. But even looking back, it was 2013. He played that 13 all draw with France, and he, he kicked really well in that game as well. And that was one of his best games for Ireland. But yeah, here we are, four years later, still asking questions about the guy as well. Maybe we shouldn't I be. I honestly think it's awful. I, I think like people don't give him a fair run, and like the same thing happened with Johnny and and Ronan. It probably happened with. Campbell and Keys back in the day it's just you know and, and Tony Ward it's just I think um, you know we like to have our 10 set in stone but I don't agree for this weekend I think you know Paddy is there to ship a bit I think you 100% you need people to boss you know the, the the pack around the place and Johnny will do that if he, if he steps in you know there's going to be no dip in standards but I think for the overall squad morale to see a guy that's gone in and performed well I think sometimes you've got to back him so I'll be interested to see how it plays out So that'll be one um, decision to make I suppose if we're assuming that Rob Kearney comes back from this injury then there's potentially another decision to make which is does perennial Joe Schmidt favourite Mr Trimble come back into this team? Yeah, that, that's something I kind of looked at, and it looked like the decision was going to be made, um, you know, for Schmidt because uh, Carney was going in for the scan, and there was talk of a fracture and stuff like that. But it doesn't seem to be as bad. Like I think there's tendon, tendon damage, but it's probably something that Carney wants to play through. Like you might have to get it looked after, you know, after the Six Nations. But um, even even before that, I would kind of think with Andrew Trimble coming back in and have apparently training well and, and looking good uh, in those Monaghan sessions, um, I would kind of go Zebo fullback Trimble um, Trimble on the uh, the left wing and then Earls on the right wing. I think that's a, a better back three and they're kind of they can put in a lot more work around the pitch as well. And kind of Trimble's a guy who's kind of missed when he doesn't play as in kind of pitching into the breakdown and great defensive work. So. Uh, nothing really against Kearney he hasn't kind of had any bad games but I'd probably prefer to see that back three play against France Dunica, um Trimble does do a lot of off the ball work is it, is it something do you think that people outside the game appreciate a winger who's, who's getting stuck in like that oh yeah I, I, absolutely I think guys see it and I think he's got a bit of X factor in the fact um, that he's so physical you know he just absolutely creams for his both in attack and defence uh, Trimby for an awful lot of time and Mike would probably have seen it he would have been a guy around the squad like we spoke about Jamie last week that's massively respected by the players but has had a really bumpy ride throughout his international career and and finally it was highlighted within the Six Nations when we won the Grand sorry when we won the, the championship that he seemed to get the, the, the plaudits and the appreciation that he finally deserved so you want competition for places, but I don't know. I think you're asking for an awful lot to put guys just coming back from from injuries into international test arenas. I think you have to, like you said there, you have to earn it in training. You have to be training very well. And I'll be honest, I'd say the last two weeks in camp, it's been um, it's been up to guys to put their names on shirts. And I think things like the Sexton and Trimble things will be decided by how well they train and Mike knows 
from being in camp. Um, you know, when Johnny gets out on the pitch, he can make it his own. He can take the decisions out of everyone's hands because he can train so well. And the same with Trimby, you know, who, who actually steps up there in the last two weeks and, and grabs the shirt. In, when it comes to the, I suppose the back five of the scrum, there's a couple of little things that we might talk about there, Mike. Um, Josh Vanderfair chipped a knock. It looks like an AC joint, so we won't know about that until we know the severity. It's a thing you can play through, but it's quite painful. If we assume that he's not part of the mix, then Joe Schmidt has a very nice problem to have because he's got Peter O'Mahony back fit and a very, very good back row there already. It, what do you think he could do there? Um, obviously, the the most natural thing would just be put Pete in the bench. Um, that'd be the straight swap for Josh if Josh is out because uh, Pete can cover 6, 7 and 8 off the bench and he's a very good line option you know, he's got a very good vertical jump and if, we, if we ever lift him in training he goes up very easily so that could be val- very valuable against the French especially if you want to deny them um, all ball and get up and seal it um, like I, I, I find it hard to see Joe changing mm. the back row too much I mean especially after the way they play against Italy I mean who do you drop yeah it's an all star back back yeah. row there at the moment yeah it's a nice so, problem to have yeah and uh, having Pete come on being very angry and making an <laughs> impact so is, is a great thing to have too off the bench he is good at being angry uh, Donica did you teach him the angry thing or did, is that all his own no he he's learned that from an early age I don't know what he gets if he needs to chat to someone or find somebody to love within himself so uh no, but I agree. I think uh, even injuries aside, I think he'd be knocking at the door to be on the bench at the moment. I think he can cover all those positions and he will bring uh, a bit of an impact. And like we've seen with Craig Gilroy, you have to come on and make an impact within the Irish squad now. You look at, unfortunately for Tommy Bowe, he came on and you know he, he got caught in one of those trapping penalties that we we discussed. Uh, two weeks ago and they can be usually frustrating but you know you have to come on and make a massive um, impression when you get your chance and I think Pete's the type of fellow that could do that and I think you know it's been a, a, a rocket to the whole bench and I think especially to the likes Alton Delan as well I, I think guys will be competing even for bench slots I think Ian Henderson will be uh, knocking about and, and, and I, I'm going over it again but I think uh, camp would have been really interesting over the last two weeks because I think it would have been um, a, a chance for guys to um, to make a big impression on Joe Well one lad has made a big impression now I suppose really sunk into the consciousness since the Autumn Internationals is Tyg Furlong um, we have a prop expert here a scrum nerd what makes a good tight head and why is Tyke Furlong so good Mike Ross go I taught him everything new didn't I especially those offloads and handoffs um, against the elbows <laughs> yeah. yeah well yeah, Tyke's done really well I mean to be honest I, I saw him coming up the ranks or up along the outside a couple of years ago when I was around this time he was playing against Cardiff and he was playing really well I was watching going yeah, here comes trouble um, well, what's that? What's that like from your point of view? You're the senior guy there, right? And you know, without being disrespectful, you've a few miles on the clock, and there's a few years to go yet. But you've got this young book coming up. Do you? What's the balance between fighting for your place and putting the arm around him and teaching him? Well, it's a squad game, so you know you can't play every minute, especially in the front row. 
um, you usually end up playing like 50-30 slots so you, you've got this young talented guy coming up and you know he's going to be good and there's two ways you can go you can go alright I'm not talking to you at all or you can t teach him a couple of things because the squad needs it and you you need it let's be honest because um, it's all about the squad and you won't win anything without a strong squad so I saw that and he's a really nice guy um, you asked what makes a good tight head a bit of stubbornness and he has that but he's like he's far better than I was around the pitch you know as hard as it <laughs> it's not a hard mission but um, he's also got scrummaging as well so he's got kind of a complete package and uh, so what, and ma what makes a good tight head scrummager he is, well he Ty was always willing to learn too he never thought he knew everything he'd always be he'd pull me in have me sit down and we'd go through some video and have a look and see where he could improve or change his feet positioning um, if you remember he had a tough time during Six Nations this time last year and he went away and worked at it and like he hasn't looked back since and I think to be to be tight head you have to be a bit stubborn because you know things will go wrong for you but you can't just think you're you're crap in the back of that and I don't think he ever did yeah. and um, he's learned his lessons and you know he's taken his lessons and he's learned from them which is another thing you have to be able to you have to be coachable and Tig's very coachable and then you've got um, the unteachable stuff like the aggression the leg drive through contact well, you can coach that a bit but Tig comes naturally to him and he's very skillful too and so but being a tight head you've also got the guys around you because mm -hmm. you're, you're right at that pointy end yeah. in the scrum how, how important is it to have someone behind you at the tight head lock because the two locks are not the same and that's maybe something that people don't appreciate that you need a guy behind you who's driving straight through yeah um, like I had Dunners for a couple of years um, and it was excellent and then Paulie was and what you want from a tight head lock is a fellow who's like a a pole in the ground behind you because several times I've been saved from a bad engagement by the fact that the strength of the lad behind me is keeping me stable so I can recover from the bad engagement and get my footing again and um, the thing about tight is you're usually pushing against two people you've got the loose head coming at you from your right and you've the hooker coming at you from your left so you have to resist that pressure and uh, having a good tight head lock is worth its weight in gold chill because like I said it will save you or it will make you look invincible Tonica um, were you the best tight head lock of all time behind my cross <laughs> no not at all um, I, 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 I was lucky though that coming up through Corcon I, I was lucky to play with Paul McCartney and he, um, he, he I remember even how he'd address me he's there you're not the second or you're the assistant to the tight head and, and that's what he that's what he called the lock that went behind the tight head and just from an early age I was about 18, 19 he gave me a massive appreciation for the amount of work that a tight head has to do it is the hardest position on the pitch you, you just cannot imagine what those lads have to do and for me, it was always to be kind of good behind them because you expect good lifts when it comes around the pitch and line-outs and you expect an awful lot of them from guys. But as well, they're always guys that you're quite close with. And, um, you know, the, the likes of Rossi there, John Hayes, Stephen Archer, Kagawan, guys that you've played with, they, you want them to go well as well. So I, I think Mike made the right point, yeah, and I'll never forget it. It was um, Paul McCarthy said it to me that your tight head can go 
up, he can go down, but he never comes back. And there is there is times when maybe on a, a, a hit that it mightn't have gone exactly the way the tight heads would have wanted. But you have to get it and hold him in a position till he can go back to work. And uh, I think um, sometimes it is undervalued the amount of work you have to do in the second one. Sometimes people kind of go, geez, you didn't see much around the pitch, but it feels like you're after doing um, a massive squash for, and then try to get around the corner. It can be quite tough, but uh, yeah, um, I, I, you know, I, another one I never forget. Paul Mack had a way of chatting. To, he said there was a pecking order to life. So there was your mom, there was your tight head, and then there was your missus. So it was like <laughs> keep them in that order, and you'll be fine. So um, I think. Uh, you know, like I said, it's it's a tough position, but we're lucky. We're lucky in Ireland now that, you know, before I noticed suspected we didn't have massive competition in that place because it was so hard to play in it. But if you look at through the provinces this weekend, like Finley Beelan had a great game, John John Ryan had a great game. So we we've, we've we've good competition for places. Rossi yourself, you know, like there's guys that are at international level playing within our pro- provinces which we didn't have before like I'll be honest if, if you look back a few years ago if John Hayes got sick we were in serious serious trouble it's a funny position yeah it's we we did have that stretch where it was you know the mantle was passed from from the Hayes to the Ross and now we seem to be in a different place Furlong's ahead but if he did go down we'd be we'd be in an alright place yeah, I mean, like, like I mentioned, John Ryan, Finley Bielham have been playing pretty well recently. Uh, I, th- I think John Ryan's um, come on leaps and bounds. I mean, he was p- originally playing a tight head, then he moved to loose head, and he's back to tight head again. He also had Clyde's deal to deal with, so he's had he's come a fairly uh, long road, which I can appreciate. And Finley, um, who's up at Ulster, I think he was, was he cut from the academy or something, and came down to Connacht and. Like he's really good around the park. Scrummaging is very good. Um, you know, certainly have a lot more strength and depth. But you know, there's been a lot of work going on behind the scenes with Greg Feek, um, all the way down through the different the ranks to make sure that the that the best scrum coaching that we can give is being given out. So when guys come into setups and whether it's under twenties or academies, that they they've got the coaching behind them and you're not trying to undo years of bad coaching. Mm. And, and you've hit it on the, the head there, Rossi. It, it hasn't happened by accident, and it's something the RFU deserve massive credit for. They've put processes in place to actually produce these tight heads. You know, it isn't the fact that we're just through a lucky spot now. They identified that maybe a few years ago that we need strength in that position, and and they put it in through good coaching, which is always valuable. And uh, and that's the beauty of the Irish system, the way everything goes through from the top down, as opposed to if you tried to do that in England, it would be very, very difficult. So we'll, 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 we'll bring this back in a bit. I'm getting uncomfortable with the amount of tight head love here. It's right, like the Jamie Hayes love, love fest. <laughs> yeah, last time. Edit this down. Um, but... Uh, one of the areas that people do point to when saying how will Ireland beat France is they talk about fitness and I suppose if we go back a generation or maybe two generations it was Ireland would go hard for the first 50 and then someone would uh, would outlast them and put us away and the shoes on the other foot and I was digging through some stats and the guys from from stats who used to be called Prozone they dug out the active playtime for game for me and I thought it was very interesting. So we have four and a half full 
fewer minutes of ball and play time in a top 14 game this season than either the Premiership or Pro 12. So that's 38 odd minutes of active ball and play time for the Premiership and Pro 12 and just 33 and a half for the top 14. That doesn't sound like a lot to the layman but Mike four and a half extra minutes is a lot. Yeah it adds up I mean if you you take, take those stats I mean for every eight games we play we play an extra game essentially in the Pro Twelve or in or in um, the or in the Premiership as opposed to the top fourteen. But doesn't doesn't really surprise me if you watch the top fourteen. You know it's often fairly forward oriented slugathons, so which is a beautiful thing to watch really. But uh, <laughs> it's probably not for the purist. So I, I quite enjoy watching them all in scrumming. But um, I can understand how your third party wouldn't uh, find it too entertaining. Yeah, but, but, that's, but that's a lot of. I mean, if these guys are doing that much less running around uh, they can and I'm going to put this in the nicest way possible they can afford to perhaps carry a little bit more weight well certainly um, you're often giving up a few extra pounds to French packs when you play them in Europe um, but to, on the flip side of that we, we always try and back our fitness and make them run a bit more because maybe they're not used to it as much yeah, so, um, I mean, Dunica, is this something that you'd be aware of, that you suppose, when you're coming up against teams from other places, that they have a different style of playing? Yeah, I think that's really kicked on more so in the last maybe three or four years, that the, it's kind of seen that the French league is slower and that the French players are a little bit, um, I, I think they're really badly con- conditioned. If you look at them, you know, there's an awful lot of them carrying poor weight and at the international stage, you can't carry a bad pound. You know, you you can in certain positions where you actually need weight. But when your centres and and your your wings are carrying, you know, have you know bellies, it's not a good way to be. So it's uh, I think they're poorly conditioned, and that, and that's how Ireland beat them. And it, as well, it is how how France can stay in the game. If France make it this slow one tempo kick to the corner three-phase stop-start game, we're in big trouble. We have to we have to ignite the game. We have to play at a tempo that they can't live with from the off, like we did against Italy. I think it'll be more of the same, but um, I think you can look at that New Zealand game where Ireland actually dictated the tempo of the game to even a really fit team like New Zealand and were able to you know, spit them out the back. So it's, it's got to be at that level. And uh, I think we could make them pay. They really are. I think they're not as... If we play them in one-off kind of uh, that unstructured kind of game, I think we're in trouble because they're big, strong, physical men and and they're skillful and that will suit them. But we need real structure and high tempo, like we we did against Italy. We need to come out and be in a rush. So uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think they're they're poorly conditioned and I think uh, their league is is slow and I think it's you know an opportunity to exploit that but then again they are skillful players and if we sit in an arm wrestle we're in trouble well, one of the I suppose one of the positional choices that they'd have to make which might give us a bit of a an insight into how they're going to approach this game is um, at tight head or at, at prop and you've got Slimani and you've got Antonio Uni Antonio is a very very large human Slimani is a smaller human big by my standards but not by international rugby standards um, Mike what do you see in terms of large prop versus more technical prop? What do you see when you're looking at that? Well, I think with the, the, they used to start Slimani and bring Antonio on, but they've reversed that. I think that is because 
as it pays, as when you start, it's better for a big guy to start the game so he gets used to the tempo. Whereas when he comes on in the second half, suddenly he's got to catch up with everyone else who's got their second wind and they're flying around the place. So maybe he's not offering as much impact coming on off the bench as he would as being on from the start. Whereas if he brings Samani on, he's lighter, he's a little nugget of a prop, and he's very hard to deal with because he he will hit a hard angle in the scrum. And if he gets through the hooker's joint, then you're in a lot of trouble. And having him come on after spending 50-odd minutes lifting uh, Antonio's 150 kilos frame, it's going to be tough-ass for our props. I think we'll probably leave it there with our scrum fest. Um, Ireland-France, uh, Pat, just very briefly, you uh, you were very bullish last week. Still, still looking good? I remain bullish, yeah. Um, yeah, I think... Like, uh, this sounds crazy now but I think they can get the bonus point like it, this I might regret it after like 60 minutes of the game and we're locked in a 9-6 I'm, I'm, I'm touching wood quickly here now yeah right. that's it bonus okay. points we got it so that's it for Ireland's guaranteed bonus point win against France next up we will have Osterman Chris Farrell who's on the move back to Ireland from French side Grenoble The Hard Yards on Sports Joe backed by Ladbrokes we're back and now joining us is Chris Farrell currently of Bernard Jackman's Grenoble who'll be joining Munster next season Chris hello 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 how are you Bob? very well Cheers. we were just talking about very large Frenchmen moving around a park slowly and uh, I suppose what do you think of the condition of uh, the French teams over there have, uh, have, how did Grenoble do it um, I, I guess a lot of Condition in the French rugby teams lies on the individual themselves. I think you've got a there's a, a real a lack of discipline probably within a lot of clubs and, and players themselves have got to take control there. I know I certainly have had to um, really take a little bit of control of my own conditioning and my own diet. We have we have nutritionists and a lot of the clubs will all have nutritionists, but we don't see an awful lot of them. And, and I guess there's a bit of leeway for for players to do what they want. Mike, Mike, is leeway a good thing when it comes to uh, conditioning? Depends on the individual. Um, probably not for props. <laughs> I would I would say that fighting against the natural tendencies can be quite difficult. Yeah, you could be very, very stable after a few weeks of yes. your own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Donica, how about you? Yeah, no, look, I like structure. I think I think teams that condition well together and it can nearly be a, a form of team bonding and. Uh, you know, I understand Chris's dilemma. You chat to any of the lads that are playing in France, it's quite different how they do their conditioning work. You hear the stories about Toulon don't even have, you know, a decent gym. So, you know, it's a, it's a different way of doing it. But if you've good pros within us that, you know, um, like Chris is saying, they're taking control of their own performance and their own um, kind of programs. You know, it's frustrating, I'd say, that you have to do that, but as a professional player, sometimes that's what you need to do if you want to push on, that you've got to kind of say, you know, the rest of Europe is at this, so I need to, to get better. So, um, yeah, I could imagine that it would be quite uh, frustrating, but I think that's just the French way. Chris, have you ever been given cheese directly after a game as part of a post-match recovery meal? I guess there's one thing the French do, they do post-match, uh, post-match receptions very well. And um, yeah, you would you would walk into a huge tent or a huge hall with lights flashing, and there's always there's always wine and cheese. It's always there. It's widely available, any kind. That is, wow! That that's actually evil. Sounds, well, here sounds amazing. In, 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 <laughs> Mike's drooling here in the studio. In the, 
in the Alps, we we have a lot of real comfort food. So I'd go up on a, on a Sunday and sit by the ski fields and just watch the world go by. But you'd see bucket loads of, of cheese fondue and, and raclette come out and there'd be all sorts of dry meats and people dipping dry meats into buckets of cheese. Michael so, be Michael be comfort. getting the getting onto the agents receiving Wangle some kind of contract in France there for the next couple of seasons. They'll be ringing Birch straight after this. <laughs> this is it. It was supercharged barbecue. Barbecue dipped in cheese. Yeah, what can go wrong? Yeah, I, I, yeah, a lot of things, including the um, the mobility part. We'll see. So we'll, we'll move on to the mobility part, right? So, Chris, you you of all of us here probably see more of these French players that Ireland will be facing uh, next weekend than anybody. So. When you're looking at the way this French team are playing, what do you think that Ireland have to be wary of? Um, I think I think up here for this French team is really, really dangerous. I think, uh, having spoken to a lot of the French boys, they see this French team as being a little bit more, there's a lot, a lot more players who are a little bit more dogged, they're a bit more resilient than what they're used to be. People like Remy Lamarat and, and uh, Gourjean in the back row are really dogged players and I think the general perception is that Ireland will win, but it'll be a very close game. I think um, they're really, really dangerous in, in attack, although they might leave the breakdown a little bit. You know, they're consistently inconsistent with their numbers to the breakdown. That's an area that Ireland are extremely strong in. They can probably attack, but when they've got the ball, if you can't slow down their play, they're dangerous. They've got two Fijians on the wing who can create anything from nothing. And um, it's just a matter of slowing down their ball. And, and and fronting up defensively. Yeah, the um, I suppose that's the kind of thing. Like we were kind of speaking about, um, you know, where, where they kind of might target Ireland as the kind of game goes on as well. But um, yeah, it's it's kind of it's an interesting thing. We were kind of speaking to to Mike like um earlier on we were kind of talking about the whole thing of like um, you know would they be targeting like those wingers would they be targeting the forwards like you have your lads like Furlong and, and McGrath or Healy you're going to have to watch out like um, we kind of spoke a bit about before um, maybe the prop if the prop and the lock ever get stuck together like and uh, it might be a kind of thing where those wingers might be going after Ireland there but yeah, have you kind of experienced that Mike before like the kind of you you can kind of see someone's coming after you in a game yeah um, and just remember last year when um, against Scotland we I think Conor Murray took a box kick and I was chasing up in the line bestie and I look up and I see Stuart Hogg catch the ball I see him scanner along the line he locks eyes at me and I'm just like no nah, no nah, don't come near me do not come near me and um he made a beeline for me and I think it was just Tommy Seymour was outside him and Best just pushed off a bit too much and he just like I can't do anything much about that he's quicker than me just long and short I like it. the way you managed to blame someone else for that yeah. one as well <laughs> <laughs> but, well yeah I probably shouldn't have got disconnected from that much but um, you know, yeah that's what a good back player does and look, find look. what looks for the mismatch. Now I'm not going to get Stuart Hogg in his scrum any time soon, unfortunately. But um, yeah, he, he saw a mismatch and made made the most of it. Chris, how did the um, move to Munster come about? Um, initially, maybe last year, towards the end of last season, um, I ended up having a conversation, a forced conversation with me agent, basically because Grenoble wanted to extend, and we ended up having a sort of conversation about what I wanted to do, and we decided it would probably be. A a good time to to consider moving to a more ambitious not necessarily a more ambitious club but a club that are guaranteed top six um, top six in kind of Champions Cup rugby um, I suppose towards the end of last season Munster weren't guaranteed that and we were a bit unsure about what way that was going but 
Uh, I spoke a little bit to Razi in the off season, and I went and met him before the season started. And he was just ambitious. And I spoke with a lot with Gio Aplon, who had played under Razi and and Nienard, the defence coach. Uh, I just couldn't speak highly enough of them. And uh, from there, pretty much, it, it was a it was a, an obvious choice because it was a club that I felt like I could have a huge impact at. And um, it was obvious. Is this something that you might have talked to Joe about? Because moving home obviously sends an intention from your part as well. Yeah, um, I guess I did speak to Joe. I went home and met Joe in, in the off-season last year and in pre-season. I went and met him and sat down and had a really informal chat. And um, He thought it was a good idea to consider coming home now. And and throughout the start of the season, I've had a bit of contact with Joe, and he's he's analysed a few of my games, and he's sent me through lots of of advice and timings and games where he's seen me do something big that was well done, or this is what you could have done here to improve, and and that that kind of environment where someone's giving you feedback like that, and an international coach is taking the time to to give you feedback, you just want to be part of an environment like that. So that definitely helps with making decisions from home to a really professional environment where where you've got that at your at your facilities to do such thing. So Joe's point eight of his advice note is eat less cheese. Um, eat less cheese. Yeah. D- Dunica, in terms of wise words for a player moving to uh, Munster, what uh, what do you reckon you can give Chris? No, no, it wouldn't say a whole lot, I suppose, like all players. Um, you know, he's he's got um, a big cast there with Grenoble and Birch, and you you learn the value of guys. Like, you look at Ruan Pinar playing for Ulster um, um, yesterday and how he how well he played for a guy that's moving on at the end of the year and that's what you need to do and you know Chris knows they're in the dog fight there so if you know he's moving on and you know he knows like Chris you're going to have a great time in Munster it's, it's a special special place and it's a, a place that rewards hard work and what you put in you'll get out of it and but it's it's to um, look I'm no one to be preaching to you but you you know, now at the, the position Grenoble are in, it'd be nice to leave those lads thinking so well of you by how you perform. So um, I know you'd be thinking that way as well. So, um, but no, it's to, to enjoy the time and leave Grenoble in a good spot and then come and let fly with Munster, you know, and, um, you know, the supporters, the players, they'll all appreciate how much hard work you put in. And Chris, what is it? You you would have played with um, James Hart, who's kind of making the move as well. And then I think you're Ireland under twenty with JJ Hanrahan as well. Have you got? Have you been in much contact with those lads about the move? Are they excited about it as well? Yeah, I've been in a lot of contact with James. Um, playing with him at Grenoble, I would have went up to Paris and visited him and stuff. And um, yeah, he's he's very excited about us. He's he's constantly on the buzzer. He doesn't stop. He's he's hugely excited about going home and I think it's just for the same reasons he wants that professional environment where he's getting feedback and he's getting he's got he's got someone there to take him through extras all the time because he's usually professional and he's he's usually dedicated to the amount of extras that he does and JJ I haven't spoke to an awful lot at all uh, necessarily since 20s at all um, but I'm usually excited to join him again because I really enjoyed my 20s here you know, with him no one has Chris JJ's changed since he's gone to England he doesn't answer the phone to anyone <laughs> English accent as well, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> the um, so I suppose, Chris. Before we let you go, the, the, there's one thing I think is interesting that you you did move to France quite early in your career. Um, a lot of players might choose to stay around the comfort the comfort of the home setup by your time in the Beckon order. 
What made you mm-hmm. decide to go to France and what do you reckon you've taken from it? Yeah, it's a question I get asked a lot and everyone, everyone's always interested, but for me it was an obvious choice. I had so many little niggly injuries that I just felt like I needed a clean slate and luckily the opportunity arisen with Bird and Mike and, and I just had to go for it. It was something I couldn't really resist. I was, I was young and it gave me a chance to compete with, with players to get to get a spot in the, in the top 14 and to play, play against and learn from all the quality players that are here. You can learn a lot whether that is playing with them or playing against them. Um, I didn't think about staying whatsoever. As soon as, as soon as that opportunity came, I was gone and it would be good to see a lot of other players do the same because it's, it's benefit. Maybe, that's, maybe, I'm a, maybe it's worked out particularly well for me than it would others, but uh, I couldn't speak highly of what's happened with, with my move here. All right, well, listen, thank you very much for giving us the time, uh, Mr. Farrell. Uh, thank you also to Dunica. We'll let you go back to uh, Daddy Daycare again. Um, so we'll see Chris and Tom in Park. And next up, Pat looks back at the latest Pro 12 action. The Hard Yards on Sports Joe, backed by Ladbrokes. It was a good Pro 12 weekend for the Irish provinces, uh, Pat McCarry. And we have a man in studio who played in one of the four Irish wins. Uh, Mike, how are you feeling? Pretty good. Um, it's good to knock a bit of rust off uh, at the week, uh, on Friday night. Um, wasn't overly happy with how the scrums went, but yeah, we'll work on that during training this week. It's a funny old game when a front row ends up playing uh, in the back three of the scrum. Yeah, I was warming up on the touchline going, lads, get me on here. I'll play eight, I don't mind. Or even in the back line if you want. But yeah. strangely enough, Leo kind of turned me down on that one. Joey Carberry goes off, he says, Michael Grand, you're fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think they just want, Stewart just wanted to make it difficult for us for the last five minutes to get an extra blow on with playing 14 men. Yeah, it was a decent win. I mean, it, it didn't look like a 29-point victory. So it was Leinster 39, Edinburgh 10. Um, it didn't really feel like that in the first half. What was like in the pitch? It seemed tougher. It was, yeah, it was pretty quick. Uh, like They had a lot of ball, but like we get, our, our rock protection wasn't good enough. They turned over too much, um, made things very difficult in ourselves. So I'm sure we'll be working on that this week. Um, but, you know, to be fair to Edinburgh, they came up and gave us a good rattle for the first half, and they were quite unlucky. Um, was it their winger dropped the ball with the line begging, so he won't be too happy with himself over that. But, uh, yeah, we definitely gratefully take the bonus point. Um, we're going to need all the points we can get over the next uh, couple of weeks while the internationals are away. Yeah, and I suppose, Pat, one of the things that Irish fans are looking on is the the, num- the number of injuries that came out of that Leinster match. Yeah, that was, um, you know, Edinburgh coming to town wouldn't be expected to kind of cause too many troubles and, and Leinster did a good job of putting them away. And uh, But the the thing that they've lost, I suppose you're always tr- like looking on with trepidation at these kind of games a week out and in the middle of a Six Nations. And uh, one of the last things we kind of needed was Josh van der Fleer getting that injury as well. And um, like it looked bad again to have your arm slinged up in your jersey as you're, as you're kind of coming off the pitch um, like we've seen Sean O'Brien coming off similar pictures in, in the past and he was he was out for four or five months so like hopefully it's it's not too bad we, we think it might just be an AC or something but we'll wait to kind of get the, um, the the proper word on it but you had Dominic Ryan going off as well and Rory O'Loughlin so um, you know it might have looked like a bit of a kind of a, a battle zone I suppose in the Leinster dressing room at the end yeah, um, I think we ended up with four halfbacks on at the same time. But thankfully, like except for Josh, I don't think any of them look like they're going to be out for the foreseeable future. I think we two head knocks and you know, a couple other things. So I don't think there are any long term injuries there. And then it was up to uh, to Ulster on Saturday. 
Yeah, um, Ulster, Ulster had an amazing win there and it's having looked so grim a few weeks back for Les Kiss um, you know there was even talk about that he might not be kept on all of a sudden we've got John O'Gibbs coming in for next season we've got Dwayne Peel coming in as well as an attack coach and um, Marcel Coetzee is back playing he had a great game um, we had Stock James Stockdale coming off the bench um, all of a sudden things are looking up for Ulster and they're up to fifth in the league Trash Glasgow Warriors uh, Ruin Pienaar put on like another master I think every game he plays is a master class but um, look great again started and finished some great 80 yard try um, for Ulster as well so things are looking good for them and then even Tommy Bow putting his hand up for, for Irish selection and, and getting himself a try as well and Munster did the patented uh, two minutes to go <laughs> yeah. David Cocoyne it, it's been an amazing season for him it's, um, we were just looking at the stats there um, to that game and, and um, I think 70% possession in the first half for Ospreys and they absolutely pounded Munster for that first half an hour and Sam Davies was pulling all the strings for them and um, there was six Munster players put in 115 tackles in that game like which is which is incredible and you had Jack O'Donoghue um, I think he had something like 16, 17 carries but he also made 25 tackles as well so uh, an amazing performance from him and, um, and it looked like they were out they got a nice try just before half time to kind of keep minimum with Saeeli getting over and then Munster kind of did what, they, what they've been doing all season and they just kind of kept pe- pepping away and pepping away it was a great break I think from Sweetenham from his own 22 so good that it uh, got Brian O'Driscoll tweeting about it and uh, which is always a big thing the the, the alarm bells go off O'Driscoll's is, called is, someone Is Brian O'Driscoll tweeting the rugby version of Donald Trump? I mean, suddenly there's an article, there's, you know... There's a, there's, a, there's a red light goes off in our offices here. <laughs> yeah, Mike's taking us back to the pod. Um, but yeah, Sweetenham had a great game and Conway again another fullback option that Ireland might look at as well had a great game. And Conway's been in super form this season. Yeah, he's, he's been brilliant and it's great. Like Mike having played with Conway as well. Like he's a guy who just needed to have a clear run of fitness as well. And he's he's having a great season for him, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, like I think his talent was spotted early on. I think Leinster weren't too happy to lose him, um, but he's been playing really well for Munster. He's one of the more natural finishers you'd ever see. Like he just yeah. he dances down a touchline like few others. Like yeah, he doesn't sidestep. He teleports, which is this <laughs> <laughs> can be a nightmare for anyone trying to catch him. But um, no, he's been going really well. And Connacht, um, a neat win against yeah. the Dragons. Yeah, like it looked like looking back on it, um, like it was another win. They've got a bit of momentum now. They're starting to build wins together. They're kind of. Um, they have Zebra away the game to catch up so they you know Zebra are kind of out there to get beaten by everybody at this stage so they'll be back within you know they'll be within a sniff of the top six but um, they'll be disappointed they were 14-0 up after 12 minutes and they didn't get that bonus point in the end so um, the, the one standout from that game I thought was uh, Tiernan O'Halloran had another amazing game I think he had 15 carries for 174 metres gained and two or three line breaks a couple like you know five or six uh, clean, uh, defenders beaten and stuff so he just keeps putting his hand up every, like he'll probably miss out again for Ireland this weekend but it's amazing to kind of see the form he's in at the moment OK well um, I believe we have Haley O'Connor from Ladbrokes on the line hello Haley. Hi how are you doing? Very very well you missed uh, conversations about barbecue um, meat and cheese uh, it's been a bit of a theme on today's show um, so I'm just saying all bets are off for where this could go but the current spread for England and Italy is I believe 43 points are you getting money on Italy on that? No no we're not so and actually I had a look earlier on um, because you can also as an option you can you can go the first time or the first half handicap betting so if you want to back um, Italy at half time to ha- with a, a 20 point um, advantage um, you can back them at 10 to 11. But, I mean, we're our biggest effort um, next weekend is going to be to try and 
duck take the least amount of money that we can on, on England but um, it's it's going to be very very difficult uh, to do they're going to be real hefty loser if they win and even even worse again if they go on um, to win the Grand Slam okay. How big does that spread have to get I wonder before people start back in Italy there must be a point Pat Yeah it, it, like I, I would have thought at the start that yeah a lot of smart bets would have been plus 40 like England would do them by plus 40 but um, if that's not even tempting people like I don't know I, I could see them putting 60 points on Italy so are you going to have to go plus 50 maybe to kind of make a little bit of money yeah, I don't know that seems strange you know. Scotland Wales um, what do you got for that Ellie? Yeah well we, we sort of thought this would be an even even Stephen um, match it's kind of uh, looking like that Wales and just uh, we're a, a point favourite so they're 5 to 6 um, in the handicap betting, minus one, they're ten, they're ten to eleven. But at the moment, actually, Wales is is the best backed uh, team of of the weekend. It's going to be the worst result um, for us uh, so far. We're expecting the money to come um, for Ireland, but at the moment, yeah, um, Scotland are even money. Wales uh, five to six. You can back the draw at eighteen to one, and um, you know if you if you fancy Scotland plus the points, it's uh, it's ten to eleven. So, I mean, Scotland-Wales is um, interesting from Ireland's point of view. It's loser goes home in terms of Six Nations for, for those two teams. I mean, Mike, is this a game that you will find interesting in terms of Ireland or interesting from other areas? Um, I suppose interesting in terms of Ireland because we have to go and play Wales uh, away. So, um, I know it's, it's, it's hard hard to like pick a winner there, really, isn't it? They're pretty evenly matched, although... Scotland have a few, had a few injuries, so they have. They've lost Strauss and Leilo now, which isn't isn't helpful for them. They've both been playing key roles. Yeah, so they probably they probably fancy Wales in this one. Yeah, it does in fairness, Pat, an even call seems to be about right. Yeah, yeah, it seems a bit fair. Like, um, yeah, the the Scots will still be disappointed by what happened in Paris. I suppose from an Irish perspective, you'd love to not love, but you'd like to see Scotland win, um, keep them in good spirits going up against England, and then you know Wales will be out of it by the time we play them in Cardiff as well. So, from a selfish point of view, that's what I'd like to see happen. I'm going to dust off the kilt as we speak. It's fine. You can <laughs> I'll leave you with that image. Um, so, Haley, Ireland and France. What are we looking at for that one? Yeah, well, uh, listen, I'd say the money's really going to start coming for, for Ireland this week. We're um, in the handicap betting. It's Ireland minus seven uh, or 10 to 11. They're four to 11 favourites in the outright um, betting. But I think if, if, if Ireland win by eight or more points, it's going to be a really ugly result um, for us because we expect that bit, that betting to get to get really um, busy, you know. And actually, I was talking to our, our uh, senior odds compiler and I was just asking him what he thought about Ireland's performance overall. Um, but he, he actually reckoned that CJ Stander, he said he's the player of the of the tournament so far. You know, he's proven a real powerhouse up front. So, um, And then if you look ahead to, to our last match going on from that, then he said, you know, we, we think that actually Ireland should probably be favourites for the last game. But currently the industry is making England favourite by one or two points. So a crucial, a crucial um, match next weekend. OK, we'll leave it there. Time to wrap it up. Um, Mike Ross, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Pat McCarry. Cheers, guys. Thank you to Donico Callahan for letting us into his Cork Man Cave. Thank you, Chris Farrell, for uh, dialing in from France. And thank you to Haley O'Connor from Ladbrokes. Thank you very much. Uh, Joe Harrington is our producer. Shane Dempsey is on sound. Get in touch by tweeting any of us or at sportsjoe.ie and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud or through your favourite podcast app. While you're at it, 
subscribe to Sports Show's GAA's podcast, The GAA Hour with Colin Parkinson. This has been The Hard Yards. I'm Andy McGeady. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week. The Hard Yards, brought to you by Ladbrokes. Passionate about sport.